to see you guys. Some of you are familiar faces. My name is John Lash. I am the pastor of the Greenhouse Church in South Florida. Any South Florida people in the room here in Gainesville? One time, South Florida is actually watching us right now. Can y'all turn around and say, hey, South Florida. There we go. We've got Greenhouse Guyana joining, who often joins in with the service. If you're like, who is this dude? Let me give some context. I've been a part of Greenhouse for almost 20 years. Somebody say, wow. Y'all been stuck with me a long time. And uh, my wife, Nancy, and I have been married now going on 12 years, um, which is exciting. We met right here at Greenhouse before it was Greenhouse, back when it was First Assembly. We were both youth leaders together. And uh, now we've got, I'm from a Jewish background. My wife is Puerto Rican. And so now we got two little Jew Rican babies. This is our son, Liam. He is our oldest. And our daughter, Lucia. Everybody say, wow. Everybody say, aww. Thank God for the genetics, cute kids. From my wife, um, we are going to talk Jesus. Why don't you stand to your feet with me here in the room, South Florida, Guyana, wherever you're watching from as we read and honor God's word together. We are in the midst of a series called Who We Are. Everybody say, Who We Are. I'm a talk back preacher, so you can yell at me, talk to me, say amen, preach it, preach it, white boy, whatever you want to say. The more you talk, the shorter I'll preach, and we'll all go home happy. Amen. We're going through our fluency, sort of our core heart, who it is we long to be as a church. Last week, we talked about what? The apest, how we grow, how we mature as followers of Jesus, this God-given gift called the apest. He gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the building up of his people. This week, I wanna lean in a little bit further to that conversation, dialoguing on how we use these unique gifts. Namely, what is the mindset and the mentality by which God has designed us to flourish and thrive? This morning, I want to talk about legacy. Turn to your neighbor and say, legacy. Ask him, what's your legacy? I want to talk about legacy. If you turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and if you do not yet have a Bible on you, we've got Sky Bible for your viewing enjoyment. How are y'all feeling this morning? All right, all three of y'all. How are the rest of you feeling this morning? All right, you look good, so I'm glad you feel good. That's, that's appropriate. We're going to be in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. He says this, speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable, faithful people who will also be qualified to teach others. Would you join me as we pray? Jesus, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Here in Gainesville, in South Florida, over in Guyana, and all across the globe, would you speak to us, call us, and remind us of who we are and who you've created us to be? And all God's people said, you can find a seat, turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, tell him, get ready. We have a problem. We have a problem. Family, church family. If you're from my culture, mishbucha, we would say. Family, we have a problem. South Florida's like, you started the sermon last week like that. I know, because we got lots of problems, all right? We have a problem. We seem to be stuck culturally in this strangely fixated, myopic view that maybe you can relate to. You walk into a room, and the immediate thought is, everybody's looking at me. Everybody, people are judging me. 
People are hating on me. People are thinking about me. What, would anybody be bold enough to relate to, yeah, I can kind of relate to that sentiment. We walk into a room and wonder, what's everyone thinking about me? Now, number one, that's a whole lot of pressure. If indeed the entirety of humanity is focused on your every movement. And number two, let me just liberate you this morning. They are not. They are not. There's much bigger, greater things. They've got their own problems and situations that they're dealing with. But where does this prevailing sentiment come from? This idea that somehow we have become the centrifuge, the centering point of the world. See, we have a problem. I want to label it for our moment and conversation together this morning. The self-center. We have a problem. I want to call it the self-center. Tim Keller, any of you familiar with Tim Keller? Yoda, right? The, 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 the premier minds and missiologists of our day and age. I heard Tim Keller speaking on a podcast. He said, you know, we, he was speaking specifically on these skyrocketing rates of anxiety, especially anxiety in the next generation. He said, I attribute it to two core realities. Number one is the social media age and the selfie generation. He said, what that's done is it's only magnified and amplified the realities that were already there, right? We already had this proclivity towards narcissism and thinking that we are the center of the universe, but now we literally have these devices where like we are quite literally becoming the center of our own internet universe. He said, on one hand, it's the social media reality. He said, but there's something else. As we have drifted more and more as a culture into secularism and humanism, the idea now becomes that you are the captain of your own destiny, that you are the one that's gonna make it happen, that, that the reality and the trajectory of your life is self-determined. He said, so if you combine those two factors, if life is all about you and you are the one who has to make it happen, is it any wonder we are buckling under the weight of that kind of pressure? I found that profound. As we begin this morning in God's favorite college town, the land of Gainesville, Florida, the Florida Gators, not that it matters, but the sky is blue and the sun is orange and we know where God's allegiances lie. And yes, I did go to Florida twice over. I want us to consider the fact that there are unique evils and idols that beset any moment in time and culture. And I'm convinced that one of those core evils and idols in our moment is the self-center and it is destroying us from the inside out. The self-center is I am only thinking about myself right now. Only thinking about myself right now, in this moment, in este momento, in this very moment in time. See, God exists outside of time and space. But in our experience, we're stuck in time but we're supposed to, we're designed, we're created by God to be thinking about our lives and legacies beyond our time. We're supposed to be thinking about generations. There's been an interesting cultural shift that's happened from antiquity to modernity. If you've read through the scriptures at any point and period of time, if you've studied history, there were moments in culture where people would be weeping before God, Lord, give me children. And that still happens to some degree. But now we've got entire sections of the internet dedicated to celebrating how amazing life is without children. There's been a shift. We live in the age of your 
career and your retirement and your 401k and your and your and your. Not that that isn't appropriate within a balance and yet the nature of the kingdom is totally different. Anybody been following along in the fluent Bible reading plan going through Genesis this past month? We're about to jump into part two, which is going to be going through Exodus. If you haven't joined us, it's a 30-day sprint through the book of Exodus. Encourage you to do that. I think we have a QR code somewhere. There we go. Up on the screens, you could jump in South Florida, Guyana, here in Gainesville. But as we're going through it, it caught my attention over and over and over again. God's heart for generations. God's heart for legacy. God's heart for his kingdom to multiply from one generation to the next. It starts as early as Abraham. God calls Abraham, and specifically, it's all about teaching and blessing and impacting generations. God speaks to Joseph. You remember the Exodus story, the prince of Egypt, if you will. And he says, hey, Joseph, I'm gonna use you, and I'm gonna use you to preserve generations, ultimately leading towards Yeshua, Jesus, the promised Messiah, that through him all the nations would be blessed. And right here in 2 Timothy, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, Old Testament to the New Testament, God speaks through Paul here in 2 Timothy. God always seems to be thinking about future posterity and generations. And he tells us we should too. I've got one big idea, one core thought. If you're taking notes here in the room, online, South Florida, Guyana, I'd love for you to jot this down as we unpack together this morning. Here's my premise. You do not thrive when you only focus on you because you were created to invest in others. You don't thrive when you only focus on you because you were created to invest in others. Like, yeah, yeah, duh, that always seems like the right answer in church. I get it, but let's unpack this together. When it comes to legacy, when it comes to investing in the next generation, when it comes to multiplication, point number one, the first stopping point is this. You gotta be living it. Turn to your neighbor and say, you gotta live it. You gotta live it. You have to be living it. This is where it starts. Later on in this letter to Timothy, Paul writes in chapter three, verse 10. He says, Timothy, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and the persecutions I endured. Let the, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. He says, Timothy, we did life together. You know about all these things. Matter of fact, you saw it up close and personal firsthand. Listen to our heart here from the multiplication fluency. Part of multiplication is a result of simply being. Like reproduces like, fire will not reproduce ice, and distracted Christians will not reproduce focused disciples. Mic drop. Thus, we need to live a life that is truly worth following since so much of what we reproduce will be done accidentally. To say it another way, some things are not taught. They just have to be, help me, caught. In the last household and in my life, there is one beverage that I prefer above all others. There is one beverage that if you were having me over your home for dinner or if we were hanging out together, there is one beverage that you could bank on and guarantee I will always be thrilled and happy with. There is one beverage that was uniquely and divinely inspired because every good and perfect gift comes from God in the midst of a crisis. You want me to tell you what it is? 
It's the best sports drink known to mankind. Gatorade. Gatorade. My personal favorite, fierce grape and fierce melon because you need all the flavor when you're going into the moment of athleticism, right? And those, in case you're wondering, it doesn't matter. But I did not realize the full extent to which this beautiful beverage had absorbed and, and, and captured my heart until I had children. And uh, I never told them this, but I realized that they actually developed their own name for Gatorade before they knew it was Gatorade. They called it Dada Juice. <laughs> True story, Nancy, is it not? They called it Dada Juice. Now, this was partly because they just knew this was what Dada always wanted to drink. And my wife wisely let me know there is very high sugar content, although it is marketed towards athletes. And so Dada needs to be careful with the Dada Juice. But my kids realized this about me. And the other reason they may be called it Dada Juice is because I would not normally share it with them because I wanted to save them from the additional sugar. And they could not quite appreciate it at such a young age in their developing palates. Don't judge me, y'all. I see those looks. Now, what was interesting about Dad Dad Juice and Gatorade is that my children now, if they have a choice of any beverage and you put before them grape juice and apple juice and Dad Dad Juice, guess which one they're going to pick? Because I made a disciple without even trying. Isn't that how life works? Some things we have to teach, but so many things, they're just caught. Like it says here in our, in our heart, unpacked in that fluency, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. We have to live it. Disciples, followers of Jesus over in South Florida, we have to live it so that they can catch it. It must be the true, genuine experience of our actual lived lives, not just the posts on our social media live. I'm talking our real life. You gotta live it. It has to start there. And also, point number two, you've got to be teaching it. You've got to be teaching it. Now, there's two core challenges for us in our modern cultural moment when it comes to the challenge of legacy and next generation and multiplication. The first problem is we live in the midst of an age of hyper-individualism. We sort of live off on our silos, which means that if we are not very intentional, we rarely let people close enough for, like Paul told Timothy, hey, those things you saw and heard and experienced around me, the first problem is hyper-individualism compounded by the second problem, which is as a result of the self-center, we typically only have a vision for ourselves and not for others. My wife, Nancy, who's here in the room and pleaded with me not to say anything embarrassing about her, so I will not, is an incredible disciple and incredible leader and disciple maker. And so she's investing regularly in other leaders, especially next-gen developing leaders. And so I remember one moment, and she was investing in a leader, and, uh, and like happens with humans, this leader had just dropped the ball on something, and it happens, right? It's part of the growth and development in leadership. The unique reality of this moment, though, was that the leader seemed very unaware of the cascading ripple effect of that dropped ball on anyone else around her. And so she was just kind of flipping like, oh, yeah, you know, it, it happens. And Nancy was like, yes. And she's like, yeah, so, you know, we'll get them next time. And she's like, Yes. And so Nancy had to finally sit down and sort of coach, hey, have you thought about how that impacted other people? Thought about it for a second. And wheels started turning. And she's like, well, actually, 
And and she began to think and unpack this. What became clear is that there was not just a living life together that needed to happen. There was actually a teaching that needed to come out of how a drop ball in one space has cascading ripple effects to impact other people and make other people pick up slack. And, And so it led to this greater moment, teachable moment of discipleship. See, when it comes to thinking about next generation and legacy and multiplication, it has to be caught from point number one, but there are also moments where it must be taught. Parents, can I get an amen? Watching football, as I often feel led by the spirit into sports analogies, watching football is not gonna turn you into a great player or a great coach. You actually have to be taught. Anyone familiar with Iowa coach Hayden Fry, football coach, college football coach? Some of you guys have heard about him. Hayden Fry, uh, his assistants went on to become some of the most famous college football coaches. Here was one quote from an article. There's a picture up here on the screen, I believe. It says, Hayden Fry's 1983 staff, which is pictured here, was arguably the greatest collection of coaching talent in the history of the game. A group that would go on to win a staggering 722 games as head coaches, including 32 bowl wins, 9 BCS bowl wins, 35 top 25 finishes, and 15 major conference titles. And that's not even including Fry's own individual successes. It's just from his coaching tree. This isn't something that stayed in 1983. For any of you sports fans, you know the idea of a coaching tree has gained increasing prominence and significance as we begin to consider, man, they're just something that feels right about leaving this sort of legacy. It feels valuable. It feels like the the, the deepest, the greatest contribution that someone could bring to the table. It's not just about being great yourself. It's about helping those under you. Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan is helping all these coaches underneath you rise to the level of accomplishing the unique greatness that God's placed within them as well. Why is this? Because it's hardwired into our fundamental DNA and composition by God. I want us thinking, I have been thinking all week long of dreaming of leaving a a spiritual coaching tree of kingdom legacy and impact because it's our call. And quite frankly, it's why I'm here today. Some of you, because I've been around Greenhouse a long time, I was here, in, uh, came up for college in 2004. I was here all the way through undergrad, through graduate school. I did the summer internship. I helped lead the summer internship. I helped be a part of launching the Lincoln campus. I, I've been here for a while. Some of you got to meet my parents, Neil and Jamie Lash. My father was a messianic rabbi and one of the most incredible leaders and men and disciple makers and men of God I've ever known. And yeah, there's a picture of him and my mom at the Florida Panthers hockey game with all seven of the hockey fans that exist still today. As you can see in the stands. But I realize that so much of what I'm doing now, so much of where God has placed me now, so much of what I am doing and experiencing in my life is a result of inherited generational blessings from my parents. It's not because I'm so smart, so articulate, so cool, or so good looking. My hair is disappearing. It's not because of any of that. 
Thank you, South Florida, and my children for that. Uh, It is not because of any of that. It is because my parents faithfully lived before God by his grace in such a way where if you've ever experienced the downside or heard about the ramifications of generational curses or or negative traits passed down through the generations, that is a reality. but, But what God always intended is for there to be generational blessings that parents pass down to their kids. And I stand before you as a result of that reality. The grace of God manifests on my life in some mysterious way that I don't fully understand, but know it's true. God answering the prayers of my parents that they prayed for decades when I was running from God with track shoes on. And he found me and met me and changed me. I was talking with Pastor Mike. We do sermon planning together about once a quarter and sermon prep together almost every single week. It's one of the joys of my life still to be coached, mentored, and discipled by your pastor who's the real deal and still doing it with me 17 years in and going. And he said, man, we were talking about this idea of multiplication and my parents and generation and my father passed of a a massive stroke shortly before the pandemic. And so I like talking about him because I miss him like crazy. And I was talking with Pastor Mike and, and he said, John, one of my favorite things to tell your dad was that, Neil, that was his name. He said, Rabbi Neil, John embodies the best parts of you and Jamie, my mom. He said, John embodies, like the best realities of both of you, he embodies that himself. And I think about that in a whole different way now. A, what an honor. And B, now my wife Nancy and I, now we have two kids. And we got these two little jew reeking kids running around. And I dream that someday someone would come up to them and say, man, you guys embody the best attributes of your mom and dad collectively. Parents, wouldn't that be a dream to hear that said about your children? And I find this moment uniquely poignant as I sit in between the generations. I am in one way a product of one generation, the faithfulness of my parents and so many of you who sowed into me and and also a producer of next gen, hopefully disciples and disciple makers. And that's the way God has always designed things to be. The the vision for kingdom is never supposed to exist simply within one generation. It's never supposed to exist simply within one individual. The vision for God's kingdom is supposed to move Lador Vador from generation to generation. That was Hebrew, by the way, not tongues, in case you were wondering. Now, I realize in this moment, in this space together, and maybe you're watching in Guyana online in South Florida, that while I am deeply grateful for the fact that I had not perfect, but pretty incredible parents who deeply loved God and loved me, I realize that while I am very blessed and fortunate, I am certainly in a small minority. We live in the midst of a spiritual multiplication crisis. Many of us in the room, or according to the demographic research, maybe even most of us in the room did not have this story when it came to parents. Maybe we had parents that meant well, that intended well, but they did not leave behind a legacy of feeling deeply loved, valued, cared, and prayed for to pass on. We've had to sort of learn it from Heavenly Father and hopefully from the family of God he's placed us in. This problem is not unique to our demographic as we look forward into the generations. Gen Z is becoming arguably the most unchurched and most biblically illiterate generation that has ever existed in American history. 
It's a culmination of this tragic reality. We have lost the art of generational discipleship. We've lost a vision in some ways for multiplication. If you're a Bible reader, you remember in 1 Samuel the story of Eli the priest. How many of you guys remember that story? Eli is this priest and, and he has physical sons. He has actual lineage, heritage, but no spiritual lineage or discipleship that follows. This has always been the problem, reproduction with no multiplication. And I felt deeply stirred in my heart for any that are in the room feeling any degree of hurt, sorrow, pain, or hopelessness that the beauty of the gospel is that that can change with us. All it takes is a moment of an encounter with Jesus to shift generational trajectories that have been moving and trending in the negative to all of a sudden move by the grace of God into the positive where we get a vision for legacy flourishing and thriving into the next generation. Say, Pastor John... Who are you exactly? South Florida, okay. Number two, what am I supposed to do with all of this? Here's what, I, here's what I would love for us to consider. That we would become those that get increasingly fluent at passing off the baton. That we would be those that have a heart, a desire, and an ability to hand off the baton. Let me tell you a story. In the Tokyo Olympics of 2020, the men's relay 4x100 team was favored to win it all. They had some of the fastest athletes. They had some of the best individual times. They were slated to be at the very top of this Olympic Games. And there was hype. There was excitement. There was momentum. And yet there was no medal. In fact, they didn't even place within any capability. They didn't even advance to the final round. Here's a quote. While they were fast enough to win, they did not win. They didn't lose because of a lack of individual talent or ability. They lost because they struggled to effectively hand off the baton. In fact, as I researched more in, and maybe track and field fans or Olympic fans, you might know this, since 2008, there's been this bizarre like curse. The U.S. men's 4x100 relay team consistently has some of the best athletes, and yet we consistently struggle, all because we cannot seem to master this thing called handing off the baton. An entire generation now of Americans have struggled because we've been unable to learn this principle in our highly individualized and and hyper-individualistic society, how to hand off the baton. That'll preach. From athletics to the spirit. And yet God's heart has always been that one generation experiences God's kingdom and it burns in their hearts and then they get a vision to not just hang on to it themselves, but to invest back in the next generation and hand off the baton. Let me, let me say it like this. It's one thing for you to get off pornography and that's amazing and to be celebrated. Thank God for that. Can you help other people? It's one thing for you to become a great husband or be become a great wife, but can you help other people become great husbands and great wives? It's one thing to become a great microchurch leader, a great business leader, a great serve team leader, a great student leader, family leader, youth leader, but can you help other people become great microchurch leaders and serve team leaders and business leaders? I mentioned my parents as one reality, but I'm here today because of exactly this that you all did with me. 
people like Pastor Mike and Nick Schmidt. I was thinking about Nick Schmidt this morning. Some of you might know Nick. When I was a college freshman at the University of Florida, go Gators, not the point, but go Gators. When I was there back in 2004, you know how I got to Greenhouse, which back then was First Assembly of God? Nick Schmidt took a little broke down church van that we used to have and picked up a bunch of college kids and brought us over. I literally am a part of Greenhouse almost 20 years later because someone had a vision to drive to UF campus. There we go. Back when I had hair, yeah, let the record show. Back when I had hair, I was a punk college kid with tons of zeal and almost no wisdom and what to do with it. And you all invested in me. Pastor Mike, Nick Schmidt, Eric Lightman, Murray and Helen Brown, Pastor Robbie, Sally Martin, Betty Wilkinson, Diana Nolte, and so many more. Listen to me. I stand on your shoulders. Because when I came in, look in that hot mess. You loved me deeply. You became my family. You cared for me and walked me through life and challenges and school and all these new relationships coming from South Florida up to Gainesville for college. And you loved me and you invested in me and you encouraged me and you challenged me. And God's grace empowered it all and filled in all the gaps. And here I am today. And South Florida has you to thank and also to apologize to. So give me both of those things. Church, I'm praying that we would get a vision and become passionate and increasingly fluent at learning to hand off the baton. For those parents to our earthly children, but to the next generation in whatever way God calls us. You said, John, how in the world would I do that? I'm glad you asked. First, identify faithful people. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to jot down these notes. This is the pragmatics that Paul gives to Timothy. First, number one, you start like this when it comes to handing off the the baton. Identify faithful people. Verse two, he says, go ahead and entrust these things to faithful or reliable people who will be qualified to teach others also. How do I decide who to invest in? Apparently, Paul had a metric system and it looked like faithful, faithful people. By the way, Paul preached. He was a preacher. There was lots who heard only Timothy gets a letter designated to him. Why? Apparently because he was faithful. By the way, it's also interesting to note that Paul is investing all over the place, but he seems to only be deeply investing in people who are willing to pour into others also. Can can we become disciples like this? Who are not just thinking about our own interests, but also for the interests of others. Proverbs says, he who refreshes others, he himself will be refreshed. It's not just a godly way to live, it's a wise way to live. Microchurch leaders, serve team leaders, business leaders, let me talk to you for a second. Do you have an apprentice? Do you have someone that that God has given you a unique heart for? Do you have someone that, that God has placed in your mind, in your heart, that you've got a vision from heaven for, that you're actively investing in because you've seen that they are faithful And they're willing and wanting to deposit those things in other people. If you do, awesome. Keep investing. If you don't, start praying because it's our call. When it comes to handing off the baton, it starts with identifying faithful people. Second, number two, let them in close, intentionally and regularly. Let them in close intentionally and regularly. I remember it was my freshman year here at UF and and I came up to Pastor Mike, and we would been, we've been talking about discipleship for a long time. This is a bunch of, you know, you know 15 years ago, 17 years ago. And, and I came up to Pastor Mike, and I said, hey, I, I'd, I'd love to uh, 
do discipleship stuff. Like, can you disciple me? And he's like, listen, man, I got a whole army of kids, you know, already. I got a bunch of kids. I don't have a bunch of extra time. He said, but if you want to jump in and join me with what I'm doing, I'm game for that. And so I, I took him up on it. And so I would go with him to the grocery store and I would see when he was trying to evangelize to baggage clerks. And I'd go over and, and hang out with him and have dinner with his family. And I'd watch how he interacted with his kids. And I would watch in the good, bad, and the ugly and the highlight reels and the low light reels. And he just invited me in and said, hey, you can come and check out how I'm doing life. He said, hey, I think you've got a call to preach. You seem to like to talk. I said, I do like to talk actually. He said, well, I think God's given you a gift there. Would you, would you like to grow in that? I said, I would. He's like, all right, well, why don't you come do sermon prep with me? We've been doing it ever since for almost 20 years. It starts with identifying faithful people. God, who have you placed in my purview? Who have you placed in my circle of influence that, that's a faithful person, willing, able, desiring to invest in others? You identify them and then you let them in close. Which, by the way, takes intention. It does not actually, accidentally happen in our modern world like it maybe did in the ancient world. It takes intentionality, intentionally and regularly. Eventually, we, Pastor Mike and I got to lead together. I got to, he gave me shots to lead when it came to communication, when it came to preaching, when it came to prayer meetings. Microchurch leaders in the room, don't just lead in front of your apprentices, lead with your apprentices. Invite them into the prep, to the prayer, to the process. Identify faithful people. Let them in coasts intentionally and regularly. And lastly, deploy them early. Any fans of The Chosen? Anybody seen The Chosen in here? Have you watched that episode where Jesus sends out the 12 two by two and they're absolutely terrified? Like they're so pumped about the Jesus thing because I feel like they've been picked for like the winning kickball team. They're like, yeah, Jesus is a man. And he's like, all right, cool guys, here's the game plan. You go do it. And they're like, oh, what? The reality is though, that is what Jesus, the genius rabbi and teacher, knew that's what they needed to grow to the next level of what God had planned for their lives. There's such genius there. Jesus gets disciples ready enough, and then he sends them out. It's what we need to grow. They're terrified, but it's important. My wife and I, Nancy, we do a lot of premarital counseling. Uh, let me ask you a question. How ready did you feel for marriage when you got married, like, were you like, man, I was so set. Like, psh, it was a breeze. Anybody raise your hand and say marriage was a breeze? No. How, how ready did you feel for marriage? Hopefully, ready enough. We sit down with couples. We're like, we, our entire goal in premarital counseling is we want them to have a general sense of where there might be some things they need to work on personally and a general sense of how their personal backstories might cause some potential combustive issues and a general sense of how to do conflict management. And then we're like, all right, here you go because you're going to learn marriage once you're married. Amen. The same is true for following Jesus. There's only so much growth that happens in the classroom alone until you have to put your learning into practice. Otherwise, it goes in reverse and your growth and learning becomes spiritual obesity and you're no longer healthy. You've got to invest. You've got to step in. Like, true, like marriage, true learning comes when you're in it. You, you go out like Jesus sent his disciples and you have good, bad, and ugly experiences and then you come back to whoever that mentor, that disciple maker, that coach is in your life and you debrief and they encourage you and they help you through some of the challenges and the hardships and they help you grow. Great reproducing leaders give those they are developing a chance to step out and try it earlier. 
Give them a shot. Give them a chance to try. Give them a chance to fail and then be readily available when they come back to coach, lead, encourage, and continue discipling. See, in the kingdom, what was true with Abraham and it was true with Joseph and it's true here with Paul and Timothy is that in the kingdom, success is not success without a successor. So let me ask you, who has God given you a heart for? Matter of fact, if it helps, you can even close your eyes for a moment. And God, by your spirit, would you speak? Who has God given you a heart for? Who do you have a a unique vision? You just can't help but think about encouragements when you think about them. You've got God's vision, God's heart, God's eyes for that person. You can open your eyes now. My encouragement is that if you do not know, you ask him. And then you identify them and then let them in close intentionally and regularly, then raise them up and send them out and just watch how God works. My wife and I have been leading a microchurch together for almost 12 years, some in Gainesville, and now we're down in South Florida, and we love doing it, although regularly on Wednesday nights, which is when we do it, we look at each other and we're like, are we crazy? What are we doing? We got young kids, everything, like there's food all over the place. We're like, why are we doing this? And by the end of the night, we're like, this is so worth it. Why would we not do this? Microchurch leaders, can y'all relate to that one a little bit? Yeah, sometimes, all right. And uh, so we go through that. The struggle is real, but every time. And so one Wednesday night, I mean, the kingdom just showed up in my South Florida garage. It's amazing. I came back into Nancy. I was like, babe, Tonight, tonight is like why I'm still alive on this planet. She was like, I would have liked to hear like me or the kids in there. Like, Amen. She's like, what happened? I was like, man, we've got this guy, Zach, Zach Colley. Some of you might remember him. And he's actually from up here in Gainesville. He was, he's our worship director, him and his wife, Kayla. They're just absolutely disciples. Zach is amazing. He's on fire. I mean, Zach is a walking fruit tree of kingdom fruit. Like everywhere he goes, people flourish and thrive. It's amazing. And so Zach does these core groups, these discipleship groups, especially with young men, just helping them get a heart for hearing God's voice and just stepping out in faith to follow God's prompting and follow God's lead. And so one of the, so we're sitting there in my garage, we break out for our tiny group time. And, and one of the guys that's been going to Zach's core group, Brandon, he starts to share. And I mean, he's just lit up and he starts sharing. He's like, guys, for like the first time in maybe ever, I heard God's voice for myself and I stepped out and gave it a shot. He's, if you've ever watched someone as they're watching God use them, I mean, he's just like, practically levitating in my garage. He's just floating. He's so thrilled. And he's like, yeah, I, 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 was, on, I was at work and I passed this guy and I felt like that little when you know like God wants you to do something. He's like, but I wimped out. I didn't do it. Then I left. And then I was like, ah, I can't do this. I'm a disciple. So he's like, I went back and I like shared. And it was just like, it wasn't some big like, thus saith the Lord. Like it wasn't some big revelation. It was just like a normal thing, but it was, it was a normal thing at a supernaturally accurate time. And so he shares with this guy and it was totally on. And, and so he starts talking and, and this guy, Brandon, he's been on fire following the Lord for, for a period of time. And we're in my garage, he's sharing. And then his brother chimes in and his brother's like, yeah, you know, and then I just started telling him, you have no idea what that meant in that guy's life. And he just go on, goes on, starts exhorting the whole group. And you don't know what that one moment can mean. Da, 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 da. And, and this, his brother starts talking and, and then his brother just starts opening up. He's like, man, I'll tell my story. I've, I've been struggling with this. And for the last bunch of years, I've been addicted to that. And I've 
happened? And he just starts, I mean, unveiling his soul. We're all sitting there in my garage like, whoa, that was powerful. So there was a guy here, there was a guy in the garage, first time he'd ever been to microchurch. He's just like, his eyes are huge. What the heck did I come to in this guy's garage? And so they get done sharing. And this other guy chimes in. He's like, you know, he's got a big Jewish star necklace on, which I'm like, it totally works for me. I'm a Jewish pastor at a Christian church. Like, come on to my garage. Let's talk about God, you know? So he's, he starts talking. He's like, yeah, you know. And, and so now we've got Zach. And then we've got Brandon, who's in his discipleship group. Now we've got Brandon's brother talking. Now we've got this other guy. This other guy starts sharing. He's like, you know, I... I just heard him talk about God at his job. So I just said, I need more of this in my life. So I'm here tonight and I don't know what I think about all this yet, but I think God's here. Amen. So the first time dude is watching this whole thing happen. I mean, hot eyes, huge in his head. And he's just, and so he shares a little bit. He's like, well, I guess this group is pretty open about stuff. So, and he just starts sharing about addiction and life and whatever. And on the ride home, he gives his life to the Lord. It's amazing. In one night, it was this cascading ripple effect of four generations of discipleship multiplying out, extending out into places that I could never go, which was always God's intention from the very beginning. Like, friends, can you imagine if we lived like this? If we said, like Paul to Timothy, I challenge you now and entrust your life to faithful people who will be qualified and able to teach others also. And you concerned yourself not just with your status and life and comfort and security and paycheck, all of which matters and is important, but it's not the most important. And you said, God, I am on the lookout like a kingdom talent scout. Lord, where are you prompting my heart? Use me in the lives of somebody else. Use me to be an encouragement to somebody else. Use me to be a source of blessing to somebody else. God, use me me to call out the unique apex giftings in somebody else. And then guess what they're going to start doing? What you did with them, you won't even have to tell them. They'll start doing it with somebody else. And then they'll start doing it with somebody else. And then they'll start doing it with somebody else. And all of a sudden, your garage is filled with God's kingdom. You have no idea how it even happened. I walked out of that moment thinking to myself, this is life. Because you don't thrive when you only focus on you. You were created to invest in others. I'm going to close it with this story. God's doing a very beautiful and unique thing in South Florida and there's come to be a very strong unity across churches spanning denominations and backgrounds and cultures, and it's amazing. And some of it is we're in post-Christian, post-church South Florida, where it's like, listen, we got very few teammates. If you're on the team, I'm thrilled. Let's run at this thing together. We need one another, and it's beautiful. And over time, I've struck up a, a friendship with another pastor in town, and we sort of realized after a while that our fathers were actually friends. In fact, our dads did ministry together. And, and the more we've journeyed and the more he's like, oh yeah, my friend John, his dad's like, you know, we, him and his dad, Rabbi Neil, yeah, yeah, him and me and his dad used to pray together for our sons. And it's been one of these really special moments where I, I can almost feel, I mean, I choked up even thinking about it. I can almost feel like my dad's up in heaven, just like smiling, like, Lord, you heard my prayer, you know? And it just feels uniquely special to get to do ministry with, with this guy, another young pastor about my age doing ministry together. And so 
So one day we were talking, and we talk probably once a week, and uh, he's like, you know, John, I was, I was talking with my dad, um, and he was just, you know, I mentioned something about you, and he's like, you know, I remember Rabbi Neil, and, and he just starts recounting um, this story that he had had with your dad back in the day when you were doing ministry in South Florida. Both, both of our parents had done ministry there for a long time. He said, and as I was hearing him talk about your dad, I thought to myself, he might as well be describing John. And he said, man, John, I just got to let you know, you are just like your dad. And it moved my heart in such a potent way. One of my life heroes is, was my father. Not because he was perfect, because he wasn't. But man, was he godly. Humble, teachable, wise. I mean, to the day he died, investing his life back for the kingdom. And it's kind of been my dream. I'm like, Lord, if I can finish my race as half the man, half the leader, half the father, half the husband that my dad was, I'd say job well done. Perfect time for the emotional music. <laughs> it would be a thrill to my soul. And, and so my buddy told me this and I said, hey man, that's very meaningful. Thank you. But it's meaningful in more ways than just in the natural because the reality is if that's not your story with earthly dad or earthly mom, the reason that I am so moved when I think about these components of who my earthly father is and was is because they reflected who my heavenly father is. And when I think about God's dream for your life, and my life and, and your lives down in South Florida and over there in Guyana, the dream of God for your life is that people would get around you and they'd interact with you and they'd spend time with you and they'd hear the way that you talk and they'd watch the way that you mess up and blow it and then repent and humble yourself and you walk in humility and they watch the way that you interact and love people and they would finally come to a culminating conclusion and say, man, they're just like their dad. It's God's dream. And Greenhouse here in Gainesville and over in South Florida and in Guyana and wherever else you might be watching from on the world of the internets right now, we long to be a tribe and a people that look just like our father. And then we want to partner with the father to reproduce and multiply the things we've seen and heard and experienced him do in us into other ordinary people who become just like our Father in heaven as well. This is our call. What an honor. Would you join me as we pray? Jesus, we love you. In fact, there's no one like you in heaven or on earth. And I'm asking that right now by your spirit, you would move our hearts and prompt us to respond. You can just take a moment, heads bowed, eyes closed. This is a moment of, of quiet and privacy between you and God. I wanna give us an opportunity to respond. Specifically, as I was preparing all week long and beyond for our time together, I felt like God said he wanted to encourage parents who have invested back, maybe some of the specific names even that I read from this list of people who invested in me when I was a college kid here in Gainesville, and now you've got your own kids and you're worrying and wondering, well, who's gonna invest in them? And I felt like God said, you looked out for my kids, I'm gonna look out for yours. Be encouraged. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Maybe the conversation for you in your own mind stops at this idea of experiencing Father God for yourself. You're like, man, before I can ever go on to the next generation or or invest in some other person, I can't give out what I have not yet experienced in your right. If you need to respond to the love of Heavenly Father, to receive the love and affirmation and blessing that maybe you never got from your earthly parents. Here's a great news this morning. It is yours in abundance. There is a heavenly father who is crazy about you. That is not just empty words from, from a page. It's not just empty words from someone's mouth that were not backed up. They were backed up through action so much so that God so loved you that he gave the thing most precious to him, his son, to prove once and for all, you are loved and valued for all of eternity. All the love, blessing, forgiveness, affirmation that you've been seeking for, it's all found in him. And to receive it, all you have to do is ask. Matter of fact, if you're here this morning, if you're in South Florida, Guyana, if you're watching online, even right now, you just, in your own heart, say, Jesus, I receive you. I receive your love, I receive your grace, I receive your affirmation, I receive your forgiveness. Be my father, my Lord, my leader. I'm yours. Maybe you're here and you're already a follower of Jesus. But during the course of our time together this morning, or maybe it's been brewing for a while, you realize that you have relegated your life to being largely about your life. And this morning, whenever you're watching, you sense the nudge of God's spirit to lean into a multi-generational vision for disciples who make disciples who make disciples. If you'd want God's help in this area, God's eyes to see those faithful people he's calling you to invest in who will be able to teach others also, why don't you ask him? Say, God, I wanna do it, help me. You can say it right now. God, I wanna do it, help me.